Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of All Right, Let's Talk About It. My name is Savannah. I am your host. I do film reviews and film industry commentary. And today we get to talk about the long-awaited Hunger Games prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Now, I know I've been saying for weeks, I'm going to finish the book. I'm going to finish the book. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Um, We're not even going to talk about how bad it didn't happen. But hey, I think I got what I needed out of the book. I got a, a basic introduction 
that I feel like was necessary to um, this movie because I, I feel like if you have not read any of the books, if you don't, if you're not familiar with who this snow guy is, you might be a little confused as to why this movie is important or why it exists in the first place. I know a lot of readers of The Hunger Games have found the prequel to be a little frustrating. I've heard some say unnecessary, but I know that a lot of people really did love the book. I do want to finish it, though. I'm anxious to finish it. Um, after having watched the movie and kind of seeing these characters come to come to life, I want to kind of read in between the lines. But I digress. We are here to talk about a movie. This movie is The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, directed by Francis Lawrence. Now, Francis Lawrence directed the last four movies. So Catching Fire, Mockingjay Part 1, and Mockingjay Part Part 2. Now, he was very vocal in that he really didn't like the fact that they had to split Mockingjay Part... I mean, well, Mockingjay, that's the last book in the trilogy, into two movies. I find it very interesting that he would say that after having watched this here movie. So, we're going to get into the weeds of it. Let's talk about it. My goal is not to keep you here super long because I have had a time and a half trying to record this review. My The website that I use to record my podcast has been glitchy for the last week and a half, and I feel like I've gotten the worst of it. At least that's what I've been told from the um, support people and engineers is that my issue is unique. Um, not so much unique, but they can't replicate it. But they've been able to add in some fixes. And I'm I'm just trying to get through this. I, I want to put this out there and say what I have to say and, you know, give you what I promised to give you, which is a full review of this movie. So here we go. This is The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, directed by Francis Lawrence, again, who directed the last three Hunger Games movies. Stars Tom Blythe, Rachel Zegler, Viola Davis, Jason Schwartzman, and Peter Dinklage. So where to even begin? So for those who are unfamiliar, this movie is a prequel. It takes place about 64 years before the first movie, the movie that came out in 2012. So the movie that came out in 2012, Jennifer Lawrence, that is the 74th annual Hunger Games. This here is the 10th annual Hunger Games. So we're 10 years into the Hunger Games. We're 10 years removed from the war. And... It's not the fanfare we remember from that 2012 movie, you know, where they had them on that fancy train with all the food. They got groomed, their eyebrows plucked, legs waxed, cute outfits, you know, screen time and interviews. And, you know, they they made a whole show out of it with chariots. No, they were absolutely brutal to these kids when they were picked from the reaping. They put them on a train and chained them up, dumped them in a zoo an abandoned zoo for them to be gawked at and stared at by people in the capital, you know, making sure that people saw them like the savages they claimed they were. And at times they were savage, understandably so. You're about to die. Your life is almost over. And what do you what do you have to lose? So we're seeing the savagery of the Hunger Games where they're realizing that they have to change things up because people aren't watching. And that's where Coriolanus Snow comes in. If you remember that name, it sounds familiar. The ruler and the killer, President Snow from the first three movies or first four. 
this is his origin story, his villain origin story, his backstory. We're, we're learning how he came to be the way he was. And of course, in any tragic tale, it involves a woman. So Tom Blythe is our Coriolanus Snow, who I think does a great job of walking a very fine line between human and inhuman. Because we know who President Snow is. We know what he's capable of. We come into this movie hating him already. And I thought that was such a bold choice, not just from the author's perspective, but also from the filmmakers to give us a protagonist that we already hate. There is nothing, there's no redeeming that relationship. And yet here we are willing to listen to his story. So Tom Blythe, our Coriolanus Snow, their family suffered greatly during the war. His father died. His mother died in childbirth. He lives with his grandmother and his cousin, and they are poor, very poor, which is, you know, very different from mo most people in the capital where wealth and extravagance is the game. But he puts on a false face. He puts on a mask. He, you know, keeps up pretenses, showing that or pretending that he is still the wealthy snow man that he's always been, you know, talking about maids and chefs and steak and that he had for breakfast or dinner, knowing good and well that he's barely surviving on cabbage water, knowing good and well that he's wearing shoes that are too small, his hand-be-down shirt from that his father had that survived the war. Like he is just not doing well, but he has an opportunity to rise above his circumstances because there is a cash prize, a plinth prize. And the 24 best students from the Capital Academy have been chosen to be the first ever group of mentors for the Hunger Games. So they've all been assigned a tribute. If you remember the Hunger Games, you have a boy and a girl tribute from the 12 districts. That gives you 24. There was a 13th district, but that district fell. That's more of a story for Mockingjay part one and part two. So, the head of the Hunger Games, the guy who came up with it, Casca Highbottom, Dean Highbottom, who is played by Peter Dinklage, he does not like Coriolanus Snow. He does not like him at all, does not like his family, his name, his father, and decides to humiliate him by assigning him what they perceive to be the weakest tribute. No, no matter who it is, they are always perceived to be the weakest tribute, which is the girl from District 12. Lucy Gray Baird is her name is picked from the reaping or so we're told. Played by Rachel Zegler. She's a songbird. She's part of a group of people called the Covey who were part of a bit of a genocide during the war. And they're kind of stuck in District 12. She is colorful. You know, everyone is in muted colors in the districts and she is wearing this pretty little pastel rainbow dress. And she sings a song of rebellion in a sense of how whatever they took from her wasn't worth keeping anyway. And what a bold thing to sing. So there's a lot of music in this that's straight from the book. So a lot of these lyrics were written by Suzanne Collins, who is the author. I mean, it's a perfect role for Rachel Zegler, for being honest here. I mean, remember how she kind of came to be in this industry, West Side Story. So now she has a movie, not only where she can show off those theatrical acting skills. She's a theater kid. You can tell in this movie, she's very much a theater kid, but she can also show off her vocal abilities because a lot of the songs here were recorded in camera. So there is some studio work here, but definitely a lot of these songs were recorded in camera. That's awesome. I th the last movie that I can think of that really did that was what, Les Mis? I think Les Mis was in camera vocal work. Awesome stuff, right? So she, you know, makes the train ride to the Capitol. Coriolanus Snow is trying to show off, show that he's the best tribute by going above and beyond and welcoming her. He's taken with her when he sees her singing her song and putting on a display during the reaping and wants 
to be close to her, wants to be near to her. And that's where we start to see a bit of his humanity, because before that, this is a man all about his ambitions, restoring the snow name, getting back to that former glory, glory by any means necessary. If that means stepping on his classmates or, you know, getting somebody killed or cheating in the Hunger Games, because that's kind of what happens. You know, fast forward, she ends up winning the Hunger Games by him cheating. And he's punished for it. So before this part, we have this facade, this fakeness. I mean, we all see right through, right? Because we know this man, the ruler and the killer. We know who he is, but we're starting to see a bit of a human side to him because Lucy Gray Baird saves his life. She has to save his. He has to save hers. She has to win the Hunger Games. He doesn't want her to die. So he ends up doing some things to cheat, gives her rat poison that she can use, um, ends up manipulating snakes. There's a whole story behind that. We don't have that kind of time so that they don't kill her. Well, his cheating gets found out and he gets punished for it. And he is demoted from, you know, golden capital boy. And now, you know, winner of the um, Hunger Games tribute, the victor, so to speak, And he's now a peacekeeper. He's been assigned to District 8, but he ends up paying his way to go to District 12 because as the winner of the Hunger Games, she gets to go back to her district in glory. Um, I'm not sure if at this point they were providing them with money and housing and whatnot. We don't really see much of her District 12 life because, again, this is his story. It's from his perspective. And he never really went that far. He didn't really get all that invested in the people of District 12. Again, he's all about himself and all about himself is obsessed with Lucy Gray Baird, is a bit in love with her, infatuated with her, wants to be with her. It's interesting seeing this character who's torn between two desires, a desire to restore his name and a desire to just be with her. You know, it's very tragic because we know how this story ends. We know what ends up happening to President Snow. We know what he becomes. And yet while watching this movie, there's a part of you that roots for him to make the right decision to just escape and leave it all and go be with her and run away. (sighs) But alas, he's the ruler and the killer. He will do whatever he has to do to get back to the Capitol, but he's, he's walking a line. He wants to go back to the Capitol, but he wants to be with her. He, He thinks he can have the best of both worlds. He thinks he can have his cake and eat it too. He can't. I think Tom Blythe does such a good job playing this role, playing someone who is very much two-faced, giving us two sets of the same personality. Rachel Zegler, I think, shines in this role. I love what she has done with this character. I've seen some people like, I don't like her in the role. I loved her in the role. Now, again, I didn't finish the book, but I thought her acting was well done. I thought her singing was beautiful. I thought she brought a lightness and a heart. She has a responsibility of carrying the heart of this movie because he doesn't. She she has to be the she has to give us something to root for, to hope for, something to love and admire. And, you know, she has to be that person. She has that responsibility of being the the heart and soul, the the blood life of this movie. I think she does it very well. The casting in this is stellar. It's perfection. It's amazing. You have these old heads, Viola Davis. This is the most sinister I've ever seen her. I was a little weary of seeing her in this role because I've never seen her like this before. Not saying that she hasn't done anything like this before, but I've never seen her like this before. But she's so good. And Peter Dinklage, Jason Schwartzman, there was a sense of maturity about the way they portrayed their characters, which made sense because you have these older individuals who have desensitized themselves to the cruelties and the truth and the reality of the world and these young bloods, these newbies, these babies who are just getting started. 
it just made sense. It was great casting, production design, costuming, color. I mean, this has always been a spectacular universe to create, and they do such a good job. Such a good job. It's a beautifully shot film. My only big issue with this is that it was very rushed. And and having talked to people who have read the book and finished it, unlike myself, that's very much in line with the book. You get to that third act and it just rushes through it. I wish they'd taken their time. I felt like they could have given us more, but to give us more would have made the movie longer. Honestly, that last part is so different. This is the part where, you know, he's demoted. He goes and he becomes a peacekeeper in the districts. It's so different from the rest of the movie. They could have broken that off and given us a sequel to the prequel. That's crazy, right? But... They just kept it all one movie. I know that was the desires of his. He didn't want to break it up into two movies, but I really felt like they could have done that and just given us more, just given us more between the lines. I felt like they could have taken more liberties. I mean, what did you have to lose? The box office is not going to perform very well. And that's sad. I think they'll make budget. I don't know if they'll break even. That'll be interesting to see. It all depends on what happens with the overseas box office. But other than that, I. I love this movie. I enjoyed it very much. It didn't have me as emotional as the first movie. The first movie I cried from beginning to end. But this movie, I think, does a great job. I love movies that force you to question your own moral compass, that force you to push at the boundaries of what you believe yourself to be capable of in terms of compassion and empathy. This movie, I think, does a good job doing that. That's where the emotion sets in, when you're forced to confront your own biases and boundaries with respect to, okay, how forgiving are you? How compassionate are you? How empathetic are you? I mean, that's the whole point of dystopian YA fiction to force us to confront the great conflicts of the time, which around this time, especially when this was published and written, empathy, compassion. This book was published in what, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was 2020. So not too long ago. And if we're talking about empathy and compassion, that just makes sense. All right, parental units, this is the part of the podcast where I answer your most burning question. Is this movie appropriate for my child? Keep in mind, this book is based on a teen fiction series. But here's the thing about teen fiction that category is so ambiguous. It used to be, I think, a little more clear cut, but here's the thing with teen fiction is that it can include any, it it really has books with, for kids, well, people ranging between the ages of, you know, 13 and 19. So the maturity level is kind of just all over the place. However, this is a very mature series. I think if you've seen The Hunger Games, you kind of know what you're in for. I feel like this movie is a little less brutal than The Hunger Games. There is, it's different in its brutality, but it's necessary for the plot. It is what it is. It's not bloody or super gory. There are death scenes. People do get shot. They get stabbed. They get killed. They get poisoned. A lot of different things happen in this movie, but it's not bloody by any stretch of the word. Um, There aren't any real cuss words in this movie at all. There are no sex scenes. There, you know, romance, kissing, that, what, and whatnot. But, um... You know, this is a movie about children killing children. That's the premise here. That's the focal point. And it's devastating, but I don't think this is anything crazy. 
I don't think this would be inappropriate for like a middle schooler or a high schooler. Now, if you have an elementary age kid, obviously use caution. I would watch it first or um, just read a little bit more on it or maybe go to the, the bookstore and just kind of, you know, skim the book a bit. But I, I think your kid will be fine. I think it's very appropriate for their age. It's made for them. This is a movie and a story that's made with them in mind. And also it's a movie that's catered to them in the sense that they make it so that they're able to see this movie on their own. It's PG-13. So they don't cross any line that would get them an R rating. I hope that helps. Want to advertise on this podcast? Check the episode description to see how you can be featured on the next episode. Thank you for listening to me rant and rave about yet another movie. So that was The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, directed by Francis Lawrence. I thought it was just a little bit rushed, but expertly cast. I really enjoyed this movie. I really liked it a lot. Does it live up to the previous movies? I don't think so, but I think this stands on its own just fine. It's not quite as grand or great as those previous movies, but I think it stands on its own just fine. It's it's a it's a it's a good fun little film. So what's coming up next? So you're getting this review late. You should have gotten it on Friday, but the um, the program that I use to record my podcast has been glitchy the last week and a half. So I don't even know what time of day you're going to be getting this. But at some point today, you are going to be getting a wish review, a full wish review. I can't imagine what else I could possibly have to say about that one. But yeah, I don't think I'm going to give a full review for Thanksgiving, the Eli Roth movie. I don't think there's really much to say. I think I said all I really needed to say. No, actually, I changed my mind. I think I'm going to do a full review now that I think about it. So yeah, um, I don't know when you're going to get that one. It really depends on how this program wants to act. I'm going to be seeing uh, Saltburn and Napoleon on Tuesday. You should get reviews for those on Wednesday. And then it's going to be a bit of a break, I guess, for the week. I'm still reading through the SAG-AFTRA um, agreement because we know the strike ended. They've released the tentative deal. Um, I believe they voted on it. So once I read through that, compare, contrast, and look at things, we're going to have a conversation about that and it's going to be grand. Next week, I'm going to be seeing another AMC screen unseen. I am hoping it's American fiction. Cross my fingers. And then next Thursday, not Thanksgiving, the Thursday after, I'm seeing The Shift. Looking forward to that one. So... Let me know if you've seen the Hunger Games movie, what you thought, your, your your feelings. If you've read the book, let me know how you think it you know, works as an adaptation. I'd definitely love to hear from you. But in the meantime, I love you greatly. You're amazing. And I will see you in the next review. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.